Well, here we are again, Second Chronicles, kings in the line of David. This week it's Uzziah. And he was another good king, right? As they all were in the beginning. That's how the pattern goes with these stories. Remember the promise God made to David. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 7. For when you die, David, and you're buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Well, spoiler alert, that's not Uzziah or Uzziah. I don't know. I'll probably say it a couple different ways tonight. Don't hold that against me. The promised son of David is that guy. Not these kings from Second Chronicles. But we're looking at the lives of these kings from the Old Testament because their stories are included in the scriptures so that we might more clearly see. You can look up here. Okay? Yeah, I see everything up here. That's normal. That's a kid being a kid. You can look up here. These kings help us see the riches of the glory of our Lord Jesus for us. Because every way that these kings failed is a way that our Lord Jesus succeeded. And we've heard about, you know, kings robbing the temple treasury in order to, you know, pay for blood money so that another, I don't know, all kinds of politics and and espionage and all sorts of stuff. And this week, the theme here is Uzziah, the king who would be priest except for it wasn't for him to be the priest. Let's go back to the start here. The text gives us the sense that Uzziah's good reign was just a temporary situation because of this. In verse 5, this is back uh, across the page turn, if you you want to look at this in your bulletin. Verse 5, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah. All right, good stuff. Who instructed him in the fear of God? Here it is, friends. As long as he sought the Lord. God made him prosper. That's foreshadowing. It might as well read. He was going to stop following the Lord at some point, and it was going to be bad. And that's sure enough what happens. He was a strong king, and because of his strength and his renown, he grew prideful. So prideful that he presumed to be high priest as well as king. Right? I'm king and there's, there's nobody above me. These priests in the temple, they think they're the only ones who can go in there and burn incense. They're the only ones who can, you know, walk up past the altar rail and not get struck by a bolt of lightning. Or something like that. You know? That was, that was maybe an idea in their heads anyway. So he, he marches into the temple after everything from, I mean, you can read more about his exploits. We skipped over a lot of that. But the, the engines that he built, okay, by the way. Um, if your ears perked up at that, we're not talking like a V8, um, you know, with a lot of torque, we're talking about like a catapult, a siege engine or a huge crossbow that shot enormous arrows. He figured out how to defend their cities with this kind of thing. So he's a pretty crafty guy and he thinks, ah, what's going to stop me? I'm going to go into the temple and burn some incense because nobody can say no to the king, not my enemies, not my own people. And this incredible number of priests stand in his way. Did you catch that? The, the, the high priest plus 80 others. And the text says they were men of valor, which maybe means that they worked out. I don't know. But I, like, they, they, weren't, they weren't, you know, scrawny cleric types. I mean, these were manly men who were going to stop the king. 
perhaps risking their own lives to do so because of their zeal for the house of the Lord. And Uzziah grew angry at these guys and the encounter didn't come to blows. Although, right, the king probably wouldn't have been able to take on 80 priests. Maybe he would have called in some of his guards and there would have been all kinds of horrible bloodshed. But instead, what happens? The priests say, this is a bad idea. You're not going to get any honor from the Lord because of it. Even though you've got so much honor from everyone else. This is not the way to do this, Uzziah. You're not of the tribe of Levi. You're not one of the sons of Aaron. You haven't been consecrated to do this. This is not going to go well for you. And he's got the, the censer, right? The bowl of incense in hand. And he's going to start maybe, you know, have you seen this happen? Maybe if you've been to like a Roman Catholic mass, you might have seen this or an Eastern Orthodox church or some Lutheran churches even burn incense, right? They have somebody in the procession swinging this thing and smoke is pouring out of it. And Uzziah is like, you know what? Just try and stop me. And maybe he, you know, gets a backswing and this thing's about to start moving. And what happens to his forehead? I'm supposed to call the confirmands out. Where are you? Oh, their heads all go down like this. What happened to his forehead? Leprosy. In the most obvious way that a person could be struck with this. And you can look in the Old Testament. I just passed through this section in Leviticus in my you know, Bible reading plan. There's all kinds of regulations for if a person has leprosy. And if it's like this kind, and if it doesn't clear up, then they're supposed to wash with this kind of thing. And then after seven days, go see the priest. There's, it was a big, big, big deal. And if you think, right, without modern medicine and you've got this contagious skin disease, yes, absolutely, this person has to be, we have to very carefully make sure that this doesn't spread among the population. And so here the king, out of nowhere, is supernaturally struck with leprosy. And what does that mean for him? Did you catch this at the end of the text? He, his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. He couldn't even be king anymore. He was king in exile. He had to live away from everyone else. So not only was he cut off from the temple, which is the thing he was you know, trying to enter in and take for himself, the right to enter the temple and burn incense like the priests, he wasn't even allowed to be king anymore. He was king in name. But when he was buried, he wasn't even buried with the rest of the kings. We need a better king than Uzziah, don't we? That king's strength in the end could not even save him. Uzziah grew proud. He presumed to become priest. And the better king that we do have, our Lord Jesus, is not so unlike his father Uzziah. In fact, the reason we're reading the story of Uzziah tonight is because it helps us see Jesus more clearly. The Lord Jesus himself exhibited a kingly strength as he healed the sick, Gave sight to the blind, like we heard about last Sunday. He cast out demons with a word. He raised the dead, even. We're going to hear about that this Sunday, with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus, he didn't have to try very hard to do this. Have you ever noticed that? He just speaks. Lazarus, come out of there. You know, I think maybe in our minds we played up as a, Lazarus, come forth. You know, some kind of 
silly overwrought operatic type thing like that. But Lazarus was his friend. And Jesus, earlier, I'm, I'm preaching Sunday's sermon tonight. What's going on? Huh? <laughs> this is what happens when you, you know, write two, two in a week. Jesus just speaks and things happen. Where else in the Bible does a person speak and things happen? I'll give you a hint. It's right in the beginning. God said, let there be. And there was. He didn't have to go into some workshop and figure out, okay, how are we going to light the universe? He just said, light. Boom. Jesus says, Lazarus, wake up. A dead guy comes back to life. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Just like that. They are. And Jesus was also powerful in his teaching ministry. Matthew 7, 28 and 29 uh, is the ending of his um, Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like their scribes, which is kind of a shot at the scribes, shot at the religious teachers of the day. Even when Jesus spoke, people were like, wow. But in the most important way, our King Jesus is unlike his father Uzziah. Jesus never grew prideful, even though he was rightly our priest and king. Jesus never grew prideful. Instead, he humbled himself, as it says in Philippians, to the point of death on a cross. And we sang about that in stanza, well, six, the last one of Jesus I will ponder now. Graciously my faith renew, help me bear my crosses, learning humbleness from you. Peace mid pain and losses. Uzziah presumed a priestly role that was not his out of his pride. Christ assumed the priestly role in humble submission to his father's will. Christ's priestly role, you know, didn't look like a lot of honor and renown and strength. It looked like weakness. It involved tremendous suffering because he was not only the priest, he was the sacrifice. Uzziah entered the holy place because he wanted to elevate himself and offer incense. Christ entered the holy place in perfect humility not to offer incense, but to offer what? Himself. To offer his own blood. Like we sing every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know why we sing Lamb of God? That was the appointed sacrifice. The perfect, spotless lamb. Slaughtered, and its blood paid for the sins of those who sacrificed it. And that's what our Lord Jesus is for all of us. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 12, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption Forever. Jesus did the priestly work that Uzziah was unable to do. That was not for Uzziah to do. Again, later in Hebrews 9, I'm going to quote a lot from Hebrews because the author of Hebrews really says this better than any preacher ever could. 
Christ has entered, not, all, not into holy places made with hands, that is like not just the holy place in the physical temple. Those things are copies of the true things, but Christ entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly over and over again as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. If Jesus always has to pay for our sins over and over again, like the Old Testament priests, no. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That is you and me. He's coming back, not to suffer for our sins again, but to save us finally and truly. What Uzziah wanted to be, Christ truly was, the high priest. And because Jesus is our king and priest, we can freely enter into the presence of God in prayer and in praise. That whole system, right, where it's not for you, Uzziah, to go in. You, you can't go in. You're not allowed to go in. You can't just interact with God directly. That's not the way it is anymore. Jesus put an end to all of that. Finally, once more, the author of Hebrews. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. Remember, there's this big, heavy curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place. The curtain had cherubim woven into it, like the cherubim that stood at the Garden of Eden and wouldn't let Adam and Eve back in, right? This was where the presence of God was. Christ opened a new way through that curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, our Lord Jesus Christ, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. God is not going to strike us with leprosy or anything else when we approach. We can walk right in. And for us to not walk right in might border on the sin of unbelief. Because Jesus made the way and he says, come. We don't have to have our pastor pray for us. We don't have to pray to any saints. We don't have, there's, there's nothing else in between us and God. We can go right there. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. That's a good word. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. All right. You're doing that part well right now, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Friends, for 2,000 years, the church has been expecting our Lord Jesus to return, and our posture has always been encouraging one another, clinging to God's promises because we can trust him. And the foundation of our trust is that our King Jesus, our High King and High Priest Jesus, succeeded where Uzziah failed. Amen.